Hi, Miss Melissa. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to learning about your job as an executive chief of staff. Sounds like a lot of work. But before we get into the career, we're going to talk a little bit about your younger self. Okay, great. So what were you like when you were 13? I was very shy. I spent most of my time playing sports. I had a couple of really close friends and yeah, I loved being outside and just normal 13 year old girl stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah. So did you have any like particular passions, favorite sports, anything? Favorite sports, basketball, soccer, passions. I, I don't know, back then, I'm trying to remember what I wanted to be then. I think it, it was between a doctor and a teacher Clearly neither of those things. <laughs> but yeah, at that time, I think I, you know, I was very passionate about helping people and I wanted to try and find a career that I could do that. And somehow I ended up where I am now, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. <laughs> we will. Doctor and teacher. Those are very different things. Right? <laughs> so what were some of the classes you enjoyed? Back then at 13? 13. Uh, let's see. I loved math is interesting because it's probably my least favorite thing now <laughs> and history because there was just so many different stories and things to learn I think those would probably be my top two hmm. it's funny out of I've heard several people say that their favorite class is math I don't think anyone in my grade would agree with that one <laughs> were you very serious about school very serious. I remember on several occasions I would cry if I didn't get 100% on some of my tests. So it, I took it very seriously. And I, I think I carried that with me for the majority of my school career, for sure. Hmm. So even in high school, you were just like a little bit obsessive? Yes. Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> some people obsess over books, others over school. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Continuing on into high school, did you join any clubs or organizations or anyone? I did not. I was very focused on sports. I was a three-sport athlete, and that kind of sucked up most of my time. And the majority of the volunteering and the things I would probably do in clubs, we did with our sports teams. So, Sports in school, that's it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Were you still shy in high school? I would say so. I kind of fell into a very outgoing crowd that you would assume jocks would, or, you know, athletes would be very outgoing. And so I fell into that friend group, but I was definitely on the quieter side for maybe until about my junior year. So who were some of your influences and role models at 15? Definitely my coaches. I, I definitely think that with sports, you learn a sense of commitment and responsibility that very much translates to later in life for your career. You can't just skip practice because you don't feel like it. And you can't not work out over the summer because you want to hang out with your friends. And so there was like this certain level of commitment and responsibility that was instilled in me by my coaches that I very much still appreciate to this day. I I love that so much because I feel that with Girl Scouts. I, everything, just like I like wearing the uniform, I like having my stuff, I like being yeah. part of the... Sense of purpose, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you go about gaining new skills? 
at the time the internet was just becoming popular and I've always been an avid reader and researcher. I find a lot of power and control I take a lot of control and power in my life by being like fully informed. So I think definitely reading, asking mentors for for help in certain areas and being as informed as you possibly can on different topics really helped in in that area. And you say you weren't on the debate team. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have been. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that you were very serious in school. Was that pressured at all by your parents? That's a good question. I don't recall any sort of pressure from my parents. I think it was very much an internal drive. However, I think seeing my parents model the driving commitment in their careers translated to me wanting to do well in school and understanding that the only way to get to into a serious career path whether that was being a doctor or a teacher required a secondary education and I had to do well in order to get there were your favorite classes still math and history? Did you have any other favorite classes? I remember loving art, which wasn't something that I was exposed to frequently, I think just because I was so passionate about sports. So learning that skill and learning something new and using a different part of your brain was pretty eye-opening to me and gave me a lot of confidence to to kind of step outside my comfort zone where I felt like I was kind of put in that athletic box for so many years and all of a sudden I realized I had this passion for painting and I was actually really good at it. And so I would say art really stands out to me and I loved theater and but still also I liked math during high school and still loved history too, but just two things that I didn't have experience in. So you mentioned earlier that you were always planning on going into college, yes? Okay. Did you go in knowing what you wanted to get your degree in? I thought I did, yeah. So w growing up, college was always a part of the natural transition. My, my parents always talked about elementary school, middle school, high school, college. I never yeah. realized that you had to pay for college. I just thought it was public school, another level of public school until I was, you know, I think I was in middle school when I finally figured that out. So it was always a part of the plan. I went into school with the intention of becoming an early childhood education teacher. I spent about four years as a preschool teacher. I was always a nanny and babysitter. It came very natural, naturally to me. I was very passionate about it. So I spent the first two years of college focused on, on that. So yes, I went in thinking I knew what the answer was, and then I pivoted a couple of years in. And how did that change happen? I was sitting in my Principles of Economics class, which is a first year economics course not offered to freshmen, but I had convinced the teacher to let me in because I really wanted to take it. And I was sitting in the class, he was the Dean of Students, and I was, you know, a few weeks in and I was really struggling with the topic. And 
I went into his office hours and he told me that I should change majors or I was considering making it my major and he told me that I shouldn't because I wasn't smart enough to graduate with an economics degree. And I walked out of his classroom and, you know, I continued taking the classes because I really enjoyed them and actually did pretty well. And in my sophomore year, I decided that I didn't want to be an education major. And I went and saw my advisor and he said, you know, you can graduate early with an economics degree because you've taken so many classes. And so I did, not only did I graduate with an economics degree, I did it in three years instead of four. And, you know, I was, part of it was because someone told me I couldn't. The other part was because it was something completely new and different that, I, you know, I hadn't taken an economics class before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew it was going to set me apart in whatever field I went into. And it's kind of a, a generalist degree. But people respect it because most people don't choose economics degrees unless they want to be an actuary, which is very numbers driven. So yeah, I think that's kind of where the pivot happened was I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. So what was it about economics that appealed to you so much that you wanted to change your major? I think one, you can apply economics to anything. It's it's very math driven. There's always an answer, which I loved, but you could apply it to sports. You could apply it to, I think there was a class at one point that was the economics of Disney. You know, there, there's, you can apply it to anything. And, and I loved that it was very black and white. I also, I also kind of liked that I was the only female in the class. There was a class, it was a graduating class of 10 people and nine of them were male, and then there was me. And so I knew that I was entering a field and walking with a group of people that were different from me, and I could take the skills that I was learning and apply it. I was showing myself that I could apply this very complex graph math-driven area of learning to any type of business or thing and it was really 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 hard it was it was hard to grasp all the concepts and do all the math behind the graphs but I loved it you like the challenge I did yeah (laughs) actually I love math personally not necessarily like the geometry and calculus (laughs) well doing calculus yeah but (laughs) like I, I but like some of the because I love logic and I love logic puzzles and Einstein riddles, all that stuff. But economics um, might be your thing. <laughs> you should look into it. Or at least take, or at least take the entry level one if you go to yeah. if you go to college. Yeah. If I go to college, I just have this list of like, here are a bunch of things that I'm interested in that would be cool. But my current plan for life, which is real estate broker, does not include college in its life. It's, good it's a good area to be in, so <laughs> good is. for you, yeah. So what did you, what caused you to leave earlier? Your, why did you choose to change your major from early education? I think it was a couple of things. One, 
it kind of hit me one day that I would have a ceiling above my head. It would be the same. There, there's no, there's not a lot of growth. You can own your own preschool. You can own a chain of preschools, but it's a new set of kids every year with the same curriculum. Still preschool. And over and over again. In addition to that, I, you know, I, this might sound a little bit shallow, but I had certain aspirations to make a, a decent living, and I knew I couldn't do that being a preschool teacher. You know, you you get on this path, and you think that this is where you're supposed to be, and you signed up for those classes, and you need to finish, and there's no rule against pivoting and changing and finding another passion and doing something else that you love. And it took me a minute to figure that out. It probably took me my entire sophomore year where I was feeling kind of this pull to go do something else. So that was, I mean, I would say that was really hard and that was kind of a nod to the comment I made earlier where high school doesn't really prep you for those hard internal conversations inside of your head where you're trying to do the right thing but you don't necessarily know what it is and so I would say that was a pivotal moment in my life where I I, you know looked at myself in the mirror and I said I you know I don't want to do this and it doesn't matter that you signed up for it or you told all of your family and friends that this is what you're going to do you you're making a decision and it's your life and you get to live it the way that you want to and and it's time for a change so it, it was a it was a very long conversation it wasn't necessarily like a snap decision you know (laughs) yeah and I mean if that isn't what college is all about deciding who you want to be yes 100 percent yeah other than classes and black and white answers of economics what was your favorite part about college I think it was having a buffer between high school and you know the real entering the real world where I had some time to figure that out and to practice making those decisions where they weren't necessarily tied to big career changes or, you know, things that could really change the trajectory of your life. So I had that time to practice. I also loved being 45 minutes away from my parents and far enough away, but so close enough to feel comfortable and be able to drive home. So it was a good practice there. And then I ended up in this ballet class (laughs) just randomly out of nowhere and I ended up taking it all three years and it was probably one of the highlights of my schooling. Again, walking into a classroom with people you don't know in a leotard, which feels (laughs) very revealing, and learning something completely new and pushing myself outside of the box. You know, it was very much that the polar opposite of my economics black and white world into doing ballet to, you know, rap music. And, you know, our professor was incredible and she brought in all sorts of different types of music. So I would say those were those are some of the highlights of school. So you mentioned that you liked being 45 minutes away from your parents. Was that one of the key reasons you chose your college? Yes, that and it was very small. There was only, my college was actually smaller than my high school. And I went and visited and I loved, I, so I, I got into two schools. I got into a state school 
that was, you know, 30,000 people, and I got into a private school that was 1,600 people. And I visited both, and both had, uh, you know, a lot of options and interesting choices. I just, something about it felt comfortable to me, the distance away, but also the really small class sizes. It's funny, several people have mentioned, like, small colleges. I just... I feel like whenever I'm watching TV or whatever and it has to do with college or anything, it's just ginormous campuses. Yes, my sister went to a state school and she was older than me, so I visited her a couple of times and it was very overwhelming. But I did go to a smaller school and to try and diversify my college experience slightly, I ended up actually, I think I ended up going to, during the summer, and then my senior year, just for fun, I think I ended up going to five different schools and just transferring the credits back to my school just to experience different professors and different options for and choices for classes. And I ended up attending two of them and, and in person and really enjoyed it, yeah. So... What happened after you graduated with your degree in economics? I left school and it was right after the market crashed in 2008, 2009 timeframe. And I couldn't even get a full-time waitressing job with my brand new economics degree that cost me a lot of money. And they basically promise you in school that you'll get a good job. And so I fumbled around a little bit for a couple of years working as a waitress and then a front desk person at a law firm and ended up moving back here to Portland and getting in at a recruiting company. And I'll just kind of touch on some of maybe some of the skills that I learned in each of those positions that carried forward and that really stand out to me. So I think one, being a preschool teacher, the amount of patience that you have to have <laughs> very much translates to different, the different and more challenging personality types that you face in any position, whether it's serving, right? Or working with people who are going through a very hard time in a law firm, you know, the, things of that nature working a front desk position and you know you have a frustrated customer you gotta have a lot of patience so I'd say that was the skill that stood out across the board I think when you think of preschoolers you think of attentiveness and pay very much paying attention and drilling down into the heart of what their needs are because a lot of times they can't communicate it to you and that very much translates to adults in the workforce and being patient and attentive enough to identify the true needs of what somebody is trying to communicate to you is a is a skill that you know you don't necessarily learn in school all the time it's not a hard skill it's a soft skill but it's definitely something that translated forward I will say I ended up at that recruiting company and I got to see all the different jobs come in that they were recruiting for. And I mean, it was tech, 
and IT and administrative roles, legal, some of the different law firms in Portland. And I basically just sat there and looked through every single job description, highlighted the ones that I liked, figured out which, which types of roles I wanted. And then I asked my managers if I could start doing those, those things so that when I went to apply for a job, I would have every skill set that I would need in the role that I was in so that it would translate to another. So you mentioned that your first degree cost you a lot of money and that you were having a lot of trouble finding work because the stock market crashed and all mm -hmm. that stuff. So when, why, and how did you decide to go back to college for your master's in business administration? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I actually didn't go back to school until I was in formally in a tech role. I was an executive assistant to the CEO, the chief legal officer, and the board of directors for a tech firm here in town. And yeah, I, I think you look at the amount of money that your undergrad costs you, and it took me about eight years to reconsider going back to school specifically for that reason. What I did learn just being in tech was that any executive level position pretty much requires an MBA. Not all, not all companies are like that. It's either desired or required. And I was in an executive assistant role. I was probably way overqualified for the position and I needed to figure out a way to differentiate myself. So I went back to school so that I could propel myself forward in my career. Okay. <laughs> so this is a bit of a leap, but could you, in a nutshell, describe your current role? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to explain, <laughs> but basically what I do is I report to the executives in the company and I, I'm tasked with managing any strategic initiatives across functional teams that they don't have an individual to run the project for them. And my job is to bring people from different organizations together to move forward really important projects, essentially. And uh, the thing about the executive level, uh, generally speaking, they're very strategic. They look at the business from a high level. They have a really hard time going down into the very tactical details of a project or even potentially running the project in a very like tactical way. And so I am the individual that ping pongs between those two things where I sit at the executive level, I can see the strategy, I understand the vision, and then I drive down into the very specific minute details and help move those projects forward with the different individuals from the organization. That just sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of work and it's usually a lot of projects at one time. So I could have five or six projects going all at the same time, all very different, all with different executive sponsors and 
be responsible for really, really important things. But it's fun. I like it. Does it sound like you can be shy in that kind of position? <laughs> You're right. So how did you go from shy 15-year-old to talking to everyone and seeing such big projects and stuff? It's funny. I still consider myself an introvert. However, I have a very much, uh, I don't want to say a persona because it's still me. It's still who I am, but I'm much more vocal at work. And I think the reason why that is, is because things feel more black and white. Somebody says, go out and create a project plan. Okay, well, I don't really know how to create a project plan for this. I go on Google, I research it. I find one that makes sense. It makes sense in my mind. I go back. They said, why'd you, why'd you do it this way? Well, it made the most sense because of X, Y, and Z. And it goes back very much back to the economics thing where I like things that are that feel black and white. And I find that I'm capable of being vocal when I do the research. I'm totally prepared. I understand all of the, I understand the goal. You know, you start with the goal and you have to work back. So where am I trying to get to? And then I can map out backwards to my current state and then put specific milestones in place with specific deliverables with those milestones in order to get to the end goal. But once I kind of figured out my strengths, how, like how my brain works, and I back it up with the, the research and like analytic skills, I feel very confident walking into a room and being able to talk to anybody. But if I'm not there yet, it's super hard for me. Very quiet, I listen, take everything in, I ask a lot of questions. Uh, so it takes me a bit to really get to that like strong vocal point. But now I know the recipe to get me there so that I'm not just sitting in the corner silent and not adding any value. <laughs> yeah. So personally, I know what a chief of staff is because I watch West Wing. Maybe some other teenagers don't. I don't know what's normal for teenagers. <laughs> but how would a high school or maybe even college student know if it was a career path that they wanted to pursue? That's a really good question. I, I would answer that in a couple of ways. One, you have to like projects, driving things forward, and it could be anything. It could be, I really want to build a garden in my backyard. You got to go out and figure out when the best time of the year is to plant your garden, what type of plants or vegetables do really well in this weather. How do you do it? What type of soil? Those sorts of things. You, you're, you're analytical, you ask good questions, and you drive the project forward. Follow through. You're totally comfortable following it all the way through. And I think that there, for Chief of Staff, there's some pretty specific career paths that take you there. And I would assume that most outside of, you know, TV shows and in the government, most people actually don't know what a chief of staff is only because I've only seen the job start popping up on the market recently. It's it's like it's a new trend. All of these executives are realizing that they're gapped. Their executive assistant is only administrative. They need somebody who understands the strategic vision of the business and that can drive the projects forward. I have kind of a 
doesn't have much to do. I'm just a little curious. Your title is Executive Chief of Staff, mm-hmm. um, but we just kind of started saying Chief of Staff. Is there yeah. a difference in between the two things, or is it just like a lack of a word? It's, it's the way that you're promoted. So if you think of like project manager, senior project manager, it goes Chief of Staff, Executive Chief of Staff and then chief of staff and vice president. So it's just a promotion path. So I kind of sit right in the middle. So I'm considered maybe the closest to a senior level. And then the next promotion up would be a vice president role. Okay. I was just, I was curious. I didn't know if there was like an actual like difference. It's just like how long you've been in the job and like what your skill set is. But you can say chief of staff, it's kind of all the same thing. Yeah. All right. And, I mean, at the moment, we are talking a little bit more about, like, chief of staff, just because I think it's... That'd be the first role you would step into. Yeah. Yeah. So it's perfect. We're going to come back to you later. So, you mentioned earlier you said that we could go into some of the more specific, like, roles that you'd have to take on Mm -hmm. and go through to get to... A position such as your own. Don't remember what I started by saying, but please expand on that. Yeah, I will tell you the one thing that I wish I would have known exiting college is that consulting is this powerhouse industry in the business world. And they accept really good students right out of college. And you can do anything from IT consulting to management consulting, strategy consulting. And there are companies all over the world that do it. And I had no idea. But basically what they teach you to be is an executive. And they teach you how to templatize you know, project plans and how to do presentations and how to do public speaking. So, so for the big consulting firms, I would say, depending on what undergrad or undergraduate school you go to, you don't necessarily need a master's in order to do consulting. I would imagine that they would require a bachelor's degree for any type of consulting or strategy work. I like, I, I was saying I needed an MBA to differentiate myself out of an administrative role, but I do know that to get to an executive level, depending on how high up in the company you want to go, most require MBAs. Depending on which path you go into in consulting, for example, IT consulting, there are masters of project management for IT. So there's there's other master's degrees that you can get if you really want to hone your skills in a certain area so that you can become a competitive consultant. If someone got a specialized degree in like one, and I don't remember what specific degree you were saying earlier, but if they got like a specific degree and then they wanted to switch paths in the same field, Mm -hmm. would it be possible with the degree they have? And that might be a little confusing. No, I completely understand what you're saying. I was talking about the master's in project management for IT. 
Yeah. And I think that anything having to do with project management or a master's of business administration, I got mine in executive level leadership, was kind of like my area of specialty. You can apply that to almost anything. If you get a, a master's in music, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't apply that to everything. But yeah, I, I think at the master's level, if it's remotely applicable to business, they will take that into consideration during the hiring process and specifically identifying where they're gonna put you within an organization. So I think it's definitely beneficial if it's somewhat, even somewhat close to where you want to be. So there's no wrong answer if you're interested in getting a higher education. I will also say that working while you do it is extremely valuable. I. If, if I were to do it over again, I would not have gone and got my master's right out of school because, again, it's mostly theory. You have nothing to apply it to. It doesn't really make sense until you see it in the business world. So I either so take night classes and do it while you're working, and I think that's, that's the best way to, A, pay for it. B, a lot of companies are now funding higher education for their employees, and you can apply it directly to whatever it is you're doing. Of your skill set, what do you use the most? I would say probably EQ, which is emotional intelligence. And actually, I'll I'll give you two things. So that's the first thing. And uh, it's not as common in the business world, I would say, as you would think it would be. A lot of times you have to get people to move and do things when they don't want to because you have a good relationship with them there it, it's not you you can't you can't tattle to mom and dad anymore you can't tattle to the teacher whatever right it's you have to create these strong relationships with people and and ask for their help moving a project forward and so i think having a high eq building the rapport remembering the names of their children, remembering when their birthday is, those sorts of things. And of course, it's not just that. Returning the favor when they ask you for something is probably one of the most important skill sets that kind of goes unspoken. And I think in terms of like a hard skill set, I would say that's a good question. It's weird reflecting on myself right now. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the, this might be less of a hard skill set, but the curiosity side of me that I bring. Because if you ask enough questions, the answer just kind of pops up in front of you. Ask good questions. And then in terms of hard skills. Well, I mean, you don't have to mention hard skills. Personally, I'm terrible at remembering, like, people's names alone, (laughs) much less birthdays and, like, their family's names. So how do you develop that that kind of skill? To be honest, I have a spreadsheet or I keep it in my notes on my phone. <laughs> and then I pull it up before I get on a call with somebody and I'll be like, hey, you know, how's your daughter June? And And then eventually you just start to remember. But I'm terrible because usually when I'm meeting somebody, I'm nervous because it's my first time meeting them. I like I'm an introvert. It's not my favorite. And so I have to just write down notes. And that will be a great skill set for if and when you become a realtor. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Part of why I'm asking, not just for the podcast, but for me. <laughs> um, Smart girl. <laughs> yeah. No, I am terrible. I, I'm terrible with faces, too. I've, I have this kind of embarrassing story of this time I was at a cookie booth and I asked someone probably seven times if they wanted to buy Girl Scout cookies on their way in and out and in and out of the store. I don't know why they kept going in and out, but they bought from me every time. I still didn't recognize their face in the end. You are just a smart salesperson. (laughs) Yes, that's totally what it was. (laughs) That's a great story. (laughs) <laughs> that I can't help you with. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten better. It's just... I've always been bad at that kind of thing. <laughs> but I like the tip about the spreadsheet. I, I have a reminder on my phone for my best friend's birthdays. It's so hilarious. Smart. Yes. But where where you're winning right now is that you understand your gaps. Understanding the gaps in my skill set? I never knew that would be important. (laughs) So how do you find gaps in your skill set? Oh, finding gaps in my skill set. That's a great question. One, people generally tell you really nicely that something isn't quite right. So... I'll be working on, you know, a project or whatever, and I'll, you know, put a put a plan up and be going through it and be like, okay, what am I missing? And people are experts in their fields. They'll tell you. But if you just don't pay, if you just add it to that one thing and never apply it to any other area of the things that you work on, then you'll probably just end up staying in the same job for the rest of your life, which is fine. We need people that want to stay in the same job. But if you want to push your career forward, you have to pay attention to the things that people offer to you and like really read between those lines. And then I would say I notice it when I feel the most nervous. So when I really feel uncomfortable about something and feel like I'm over analyzing or doing a way more research than I normally do because I don't feel quite right. Usually that's a gap. And then that probably means I need to call somebody and ask for help. I'm sorry. I feel like I should have a response to that. I just don't. <laughs> okay. So are there any skills you're surprised you use? You're hitting me with some good ones. <laughs> any skills that I'm surprised I use? I think that it's more of what I'm surprised I'm not using. I... <laughs> I, I, when we were talking earlier, I said I was aware of the shortcomings of the school that I was in. However, I saw the gaps, but I still thought that I was going to be doing calculus when I was older, <laughs> or that somehow history was somehow just going to keep popping up. I, I think I was so obsessed with school was because I was afraid that if I lost those facts, that it somehow would disadvantage me going forward. And so I couldn't, I didn't quite understand like how I would apply them going into my future, but they were extremely important at the time. And so I would say that the ability to get good grades and basically to win at school for lack of a better term is 
A, building your confidence and B, applicable because that's the type of person you want to be in your career. The actual facts that I learned are not applicable when for some reason I thought that that's what adults just kind of like talked about. So understanding kind of the the higher level purpose of high school or middle school or, you know, whatever you're in took me a while because I thought that I would be just like lugging around this suitcase of interesting facts and calculus skills for the rest of my life. And it's not, it's, that's not quite the case. <laughs> You mentioned that when you were in school for your economics degree that your teachers told you that you could get a job very easily. What are some of the jobs you could have gotten and careers you could have pursued with your economics degree? I think that the common career path with an economics degree is an actuary and it's very numbers driven and I never wanted to do that. I honestly, I just wanted to be different on a resume instead of having a traditional business degree. I think another common career path is, is a data scientist or some sort of data analytics position. Any sort of data mining, modeling type of career path would be appropriate for an economics major. Cool. Well, I don't know what a, whatever the first thing you said is, so I'm going to Google that when we get home. That will probably be in the show notes for if I figure out what that, how to do that. <laughs> is there anything that you want to add that I did not ask? I think this comes from my recruiting days. The one thing that I want to drive home is that, well, i very much enjoy my job. It is not what defines me. I am a mom and I am a sister and I'm a daughter and I'm a friend and I have all of these other aspects of my life that are extremely important. I think that I, me specifically, I grew up in a time where I had, you know, parents telling me that I could do whatever I wanted to do and to find something that you're passionate about. And I agree with that to a certain extent. If, you know, work was fun, it would be called Disneyland. It's really about finding something that you hate the least and that you wake up every day and you make a wage that allows you to go and live your life in the way that you want and that you get some sort of purpose from. And I, I see some of my friends struggling with that aspect because they think that they're supposed to be super passionate about their career. And if you find that, great. But find something that, that gives you purpose and meaning in life and take that money and go do something amazing with it with your family and friends and don't let that career define you. Uh, I have found a couple of really good positions for companies that are doing really, really incredible things. And that's why I wake up in the morning every day and go to work. And I work with really, really interesting and fun people. And that's that's what you should look for in a career, not necessarily the that you get to be an influencer on TikTok. It's about, you know, finding what it is that drives you. So I, that was the only thing I wanted to add. It's very much about skills, but it's also about 
figuring out what that thing is that you need in order to go to work every day. And I just am lucky enough that I found it. Well, that is a very important thing to add. Thank you. So for our final two questions, I'm going to ask one that has been on this page, but I haven't asked it anyone. Was there anything that you wish you'd done in your middle school to, I mean, I guess even now, but kind of like college years generally, but anything you wish you'd done, like clubs, travel, gap years, those sorts of things? Two things. Travel. Uh, as much as you can. Study abroad. Anything that you can possibly do to differentiate yourself in your career, but also learn something new and about different cultures. And I think the second thing would be to volunteer more. I think going into any type of career path, understanding different cultures and uh, and having empathy for different types of people is key to success. And so kind of regret those those two things. And I shouldn't say regret. I still, you know, I'm still very lucky and blessed to be where I am. But if I were to change anything, those would be the two things that I would change in a heartbeat. And for our final question, what advice would you give to 13-year-old you? I'm trying to dig in here. I, you know, I don't think I listened to my mom when she told me this. It, you know, right way to start off. Yeah. It was that I was smart enough and capable enough to do whatever I wanted to do. And I think that not figuring out ways to compensate for the lack of confidence that I had at that time kind of hindered me for a while. So I, I would have listened to her and then listened to myself that I, you know, I could do anything. And I think the second thing is that the, the drama and popularity and what people say about you behind your back in the end, that doesn't matter. What matters is who you are as a person and, and who you surround yourself with and to focus on the noise a little bit less and just really enjoy the people around you and and the people that you know fill your cup and make your heart whole and yeah because in the end the people that are like that they they kind of just fade away into the distance and so pay a little bit less attention to the noise that is great advice well thank you so much for coming and doing this of course it was really fun to do this one not that it <laughs> We're going to edit that part out. <laughs>